There will come a day, I think, when Lestat turns around and goes, actually, this is how it fucking happened. <laughs> this is the AMC Plus Interview with the Vampire Podcast. And I'm your host, Naomi Perrigan, writer, comedian, and vampire addict. There, I said it. Each week, we're talking about AMC's new steamy adaptation of the legendary Anne Rice novel, Interview with the Vampire. Today, it's all about episode two of the series, titled, After the Phantoms of Your Former Self but which I have decided to call, Did You Eat the Baby? My first guest is an absolute monster. And he's also an actor. Sam Reed, who plays the one and only Vampire Lestat. And I'm telling you right now, he's got a lot to answer for. Feet to the fire, baby. Then I get vampire insights from horror author Jewel Gomez, who wrote the award-winning novel, The Gilda Stories, about a bisexual black vampire who travels through time. I love that vampires are always so gay. Speaking of gay, let's get talking about some sexually fluid vampires. I am warning you now, we have spoilers ahead. Vampires can read minds most. Right. And you gonna sit on that skill for how long? Mm. You gonna make me big? Every human thought boils down to three things. I want food, I want sex, I want to go home. In episode two, our show kind of becomes a cute, light sitcom about Louis and Lestat's beautiful new life together. So basically, welcome to vampire life, Louis. Okay? Lestat's like, here are the basics. Yes, you can suck blood. You do have to eat people. Stop complaining about it. You are a monster now. You know, the classic. It's a whole thing. We should know. But like, Louis's like, I don't understand. So Louis does eventually, he moves into Lestat's house. And yes, they do share a coffin, which I was like, are you even comfortable? You cannot turn over in that thing. But it's like, look, someone's got to be a coffin bottom. Someone's got to be a coffin top. Louis is struggling this whole time because he's like, but what about my family? What about the stuff I had did? And it's like, no, you can't do that anymore. Okay, let it go, girl. He ends up sitting down with his sister's baby. And as he holds the baby, which is the last thing he wants to do, he can hear the baby's heart pounding and he like wants to eat it. Y'all. He almost eats the baby. Things are not looking great for Louis and Lestat. But you know what? Maybe it's just growing pains. This is a new, fresh love. But I will tell you this, though. I think my favorite thing about this episode is that we learned that Lestat does not like when a singer is pitchy. And I said, okay, move over Simon Cowell. (laughs) Okay, we have a whole new level. Meanwhile, in present-day Dubai, where Daniel Malloy is conducting his interview with a vampire, he has served a five-course meal, while Louis takes, like, a little bite out of a Romanian man and then eats a live bunny at the table. It's like, okay, Louis, we get it. You love your drama. Well, who better to talk to about Louis' vampiric dramatics than the man who made him? Sam Reed, our very own Lestat. Let's get into it. Sam Reed, thank you so much for joining me today. No, thank you for having me, Naomi. You know what? Don't you don't you be nice. Don't you be sweet, okay? <laughs> because I'm coming in here and I'm mad at you. I'm mad at you, <laughs> Sam Reed. Because my first question is this. How dare you? Okay? That's what I have to say. <laughs> what are you referring to exactly? <laughs> Which bit? <laughs> Here's what I think of Lestat. I think that Lestat is a messy bitch who lives for drama. Sure. Okay? Sure. <laughs> what did you know about Lestat going into the audition? I mean, I, I knew the books. I've known them for a very, very long time. I had read that they were making it, and I was very excited, and I sort of hoped that I would get the chance to do an audition for it. The thing that freaked me out a little bit about that audition 
was that majority of that audition was in French. Oh, wow. And it said, it said, had all the lines in English, but it said in parentheses in French. And so, you know, I studied French in school. My sister speaks fluent French, but I am not that good at French. So I spent a <laughs> lot of time learning French. So that was quite stressful. I saw a little bit, you and Jacob, you did your sort of chemistry test over Zoom, yeah. which, you know, I mean, does anyone have chemistry over Zoom? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so yeah. tough. Yeah, it, 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 I, yeah, I don't really know what they were looking for or how you're supposed to gauge <laughs> chemistry as well from that because it was really glitchy and we were like speaking on top of each other and, you know, trying really hard to like <laughs> act into the camera, um, which just wasn't working. Um, but, you know, I, I, look, I really, Jacob is such a lovely person, such a really fantastic actor and so easy to be around. And, um, you know, I can see that he was going to be a very easy person to fall in love with. So it was fun. In fact, we I just came from having ice cream with Jacob and he says hello. Oh my god, I'm obsessed. I want I want these moments because give me that footage. Okay. I want ice cream yeah, footage. Yeah. <laughs> I want strolling the streets of downtown New Orleans footage. Yeah, and we hang out all the time and we've become very, very good friends. Cause it is a crazy journey that we're on and it was a crazy job. So it's it's really lovely to have such a good friend. I have a question about, you know, because Lestat has had a quite, you know, he's had a life well before the show starts, right? Yeah. And he's been on this journey, and then you have the different versions of Lestat we meet in the book. Yeah. So you're sort of pulling from this amalgamation a little bit. What kind of conversations did you have with the showrunner, Roland Jones, about your version of Lestat? Yeah, well, I think the the premise, and which Roland has done very well, is for Louis to revisit the interview. And so Louis now has a more nuanced you know, way of describing Lestat. So I think that was the first thing that I was most curious about with Roland was, okay, how much of this is real Lestat and how much of this is Louis' perspective of Lestat? Because obviously this is a memory and, um, you know, this is all through Louis' eyes. And is this actually how Lestat is or is he different? And I think we play with that on and off. What is really important about this season or this show was that you are playing a character seen through somebody else's eyes. Right, 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 right. Oh my God, it's a Gordian knot. It's a little bit of a layer for me. When you say that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, okay, well, what? It's a big layer. Yeah, like- and, and everyone kept telling me, stop thinking about that too much. Just don't think about it. And I didn't, and I don't, I don't think about it too much when I'm doing it, you know, like I, right, right. you know, th- there will come a day, I think, when Lestat turns around and goes, actually, this is how it fucking happened. <laughs> Okay, well, Sam, you're just making me so mad because you're too kind and you're too funny. And I said, no, 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 I've come here with hard-hitting questions and I'm living at Lestat. <laughs> but, <for> it. <laughs> no, but this gets me, though, to what I think is, is so fun about this show and what I think it's doing so right when it comes to a genre story. And that is the humor and the personality. Let's listen to a scene that really captures the humor between these new gay vampire husbands who, of course, are having a conversation in their coffins. I don't like sleeping angry. For the record, if disrespect was done to you, I would have killed him myself. Well, what can I do to make it up to you? I want to buy the fair place alone. That's ambitious. You don't want to help, I do it myself. Ridiculous of you to mix human and vampire business. It always ends poorly. But how can I stop you? How can I say no to you? I mean, <laughs> Lestat <laughs> is out here. Like, it is such a 
funny moment. For Lestat, he's like, okay, it's he's, you, you want to own a club? And I even in that moment, I thought it was so funny because I'm like, Louis, you have unlimited power and unlimited life and what you want is a club. Babe, yeah. dream bigger. <laughs> yeah, dream yeah, bigger. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I think it goes to show like the how in love Lestat is with Louis, that he's going to, like, you know, give him these things that mean absolutely nothing in the broader context of vampire world. But what Lestat doesn't understand is that Louis' humanity and what he needs is that power, you know, and it it is control over his Mm -hmm. own life. So I think um, there's a lesson for both of them there. And at this moment, Lestat doesn't understand. Okay, here's another question I have. And this is just, I just need you to tell me because I know there's an answer and it's just making me crazy. Where's Lestat's money coming from? <laughs> I mean, he's got investments and, you know, like he's he's got bankers and he's got uh, lawyers in France. Literally, when he got turned into a vampire, he was given like the most ginormous amount of money, an entire room of treasure. You're giving us so much backstory. I don't even know that. Yeah. If you think about inflation over the years, and then reinvestment. I mean, it's just like an obscene, obscene, obscene amount of money. And, <laughs> and also, if you live through the centuries, you're able to um, follow the trends of markets and understand the way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like why I would be a, a vampire or like traveling time. You know when people talk about traveling in time and they're always like, I go back and kill Hitler. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I do that too. But also I buy some property. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? I just really get some good spaces. And like, I go back to maybe like 1899 when it's cheap mm, or something. Super and cheap. just buy it all up. Yeah, 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 literally. You know what I mean, could you imagine? Right? Park Avenue? One Park Avenue apartment. Can you exactly. imagine? Exactly, exactly. I mean, that's why all the vampires are kind of pretty damn rich, to be honest. Like Louis, 2022 Louis, when he's in Dubai, like he is really <laughs> mega rich. He's got... Francis Bacon's. Real? Okay, I didn't even clock. I didn't. I don't think I even clocked it. Yeah, yeah. That guy is rich, like mega rich. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You also know he's rich because his like penthouse is so cold. I feel like rich people <laughs> really like stone floors and sharp edges. You know, they want to. They want you to know that if you're poor, you could die in here. Yeah, exactly. And you're never comfortable. You never. You're not supposed yeah, to be yeah, comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think Lestat chose Louis? Because I do think, for me as a viewer, there is a question from moment one. Do these two men really love each other? Mm. Are they just kind of entangled? Mm. You know, the whole time you're watching, it's like, do I want them to be together? Yeah, exactly. But being a vampire is hard. It's very, very difficult to to endure and to exist forever, basically. Yeah. And you need to have quite a lot of strength and a lot of gumption and a lot of, you know, a, a lot of internal power to be able to endure. And I think Lestat recognizes that in Louis. When he sees him on the street and he sees, holy shit, that very, very, very beautiful man just pulled a knife on his brother in the middle of the street to look powerful, to save his own skin. And he has enough strength to do that. I think Lestat can see this guy has potential to really endure. Mm. He's also got the hots for him really badly. Right, know, exactly. Because he rem- yeah. exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's also that. He tries really hard to be just like a good kind of like normal guy <laughs> as, as best as he can, you know. And I think when he has dinner with his family, you know, and he, and he, screws, he screws up, he does actually feel quite bad that he's, he's made a mess of that because he was trying really hard to be on his best behavior. I mean, instead, he sort of hypnotizes his brother and makes a big scene. <laughs> but 
But, you know, when he's... Lestat's <laughs> well, trying to be good, but he just cannot help but hypnotize his brother and make a scene. Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, he starts making innuendos and, and yeah. he brings up God, which is a never good thing for Lestat. Well, they say never at the dinner table. No religion, no yeah. politics. <laughs> no God at the dinner table, yeah. And so he does his absolute best to pretend like he's drinking wine and eating food. <laughs> <laughs> What was it like to go from COVID isolation to sex scenes? Like, to go from literally being like, I'm in the house, six feet away from everybody, to let's show booties, you know? <laughs> um, hmm. What, how do I phrase that? Um, uh, you know what? The sex scenes are the kind of easier part because we're all sort of like in the same little bubble together. And we're getting tested, you know, like every day. It's like constantly testing. So I think that's what what love in the time of the pandemic is really. (laughs) But, um, you know, it was a funny time because we had these mad contacts on and the contacts are quite cloudy. I think Jacob and I really clung to each other a lot of the time because, you know, we couldn't really see. And so we could, could <laughs> and everyone else has got masks on and, you know, you can only really like just see the person who's just in front of you and you're just sort of like getting through it. And so it was this sort of like very sort of weird languid dream like place. Wow. But super fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Wait, can we talk a bit more about the, the contacts, the makeup, the process of becoming the vampires? I cannot take the nails. <laughs> I could not take nails. Long nails and then cutting everyone. And I'm yeah, like, the oh nails. God. Oh my God. The nails were a real process because the nails originally, they had press on nails, like stick on nails. Um, and I have so much action and grabbing stuff and I'm doing stuff all the time. And my nails are just like po- constantly popping off, like always <laughs> off. And so they said, okay, I think we should, you should get acrylic nails. And it took me a long, long time to get used to having acrylic nails. Yeah. I felt really debilitated because I couldn't pick anything up. And also, like, a lot of people would just come up and talk to me. <laughs> I'd be in a restaurant <laughs> and someone would be like, oh, hey, I love your nails. So it was like a free reign for some people to come up and, like, want to chat. So I, I, yeah. I obviously became um, a nicer looking person with the nails on. So <laughs> I, was, I appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. It's like nails and also when you have hair. I don't know if your hair has... You've had your hair shorter before, right? It's usually always short. It's like when you have the length, you're like, let me flip it to emphasize my point. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the hair... I mean, I I, I was really adamant that the hair had to be the hair. My hair was shorter when I first arrived and and it grew out over the show. And so we extended it with extensions and then it became my own hair. But I remember um, when I first arrived, Roland was like, you know, I think maybe you could have short hair and your hair looks good, like, you know, sort of like... And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think that was, it's a, it's like, you know, if you're going to play a character that is like Lestat, you kind of have to, you know, have the nails and you have to have the hair. It's like very important. And yeah, he does use the hair to accentuate things. Yeah. You know, yeah. if he's really pissed off, he'll flip it all the way back, you know? <laughs> oh my God, yes. Yeah. I mean, like there are times where we're almost getting the drag queen level of drama from Lestat. Absolutely. He wants yeah. you and everybody in a 10-mile radius to know when he's mad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like you say, it's it's drama. He love he's loves drama. I, I love him very dearly, so I never want to say anything bad about him. But um, <laughs> if he wants to create a bit of drama, he'll create a bit of drama, you know. Right. And, um, right. um, and if he wants to be really seductive in a moment and then flip it and be really ugly, he will. <laughs> you know what I mean? He does what he wants whenever he wants, and he will make sure that everyone's watching him do it because he knows he looks great doing it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's, he's like he's a super vain guy, but his heart is in the right place. Really, I'd say. No, I think nope, I'm- Sam, nope, no way, <laughs> Sam, no way. I'm just gonna have to push back. Okay, I know you played him. I know you researched him. I'm saying you're wrong. Oh, no. 
<laughs> One thing that I think Rollin does so well that you and Jacob capture is, you know, this is now an interracial relationship. Mm. It charges these questions that Anne was already asking, right? These larger questions of what is it to be human and what is power and what are relationships? Let's just listen to a clip where Louis calls out this power dynamic. This was your man's escort I sent to these states. I was hungry. Stone throat from your place of business. What were you thinking? Disrespecting me. How did he do that? He told me I did a good job. You are a library of confusion. Something you don't get about America, Lestat. Yes, let's have this conversation again. Colin, white. Creole, French, queer, half queer, mostly queer. What is it? Non-discriminating. Complicated situation we got here is what I'm saying. A couple of parish priests go missing. People say fine. Most likely kid fiddlers. But this, this was an important man in town. The police will be looking for this man, Fledgling. That's why we got this piece here. No, you need to show restraint, Fledgling. Oh, you need to stop using that word right now because it sounds a little like Don't slave. Well, that's what it fucking sound like. It's what it feel like sometimes. And the carousel comes around again. Fuck you. Do you think that, you know, being a vampire, being hundreds of years old, do you think that Lestat thinks he's above race? Mm. Mm. I don't I don't know if he thinks of it like that. I think he definitely acknowledges the prejudices that exist and he, he acknowledges as soon as he meets Louis. But I think once you've become a vampire. I think you can transcend that. And I think that think that's what Lestat fully misunderstands about Louis' situation. I think he, he has a lot to learn mm-hmm. in that regard. Mm-hmm. Lestat is kind of like humans are trifles. We don't have time for it. Mm. I mean, Louis believes humanity is worthwhile and he still kind of wants to be a part of it. I think he just doesn't understand yet. I think Louis at this point doesn't understand the enormity of living forever. I think it's just, you know, you've just become a vampire. You know, your family's still around. I think the hard thing is once you see everyone you know grow old, die, you see wars break out, riots break out, you see politicians change, you see you go through the ages of centuries and you see that humanity is in this fucked up cycle that just continues on the same hamster wheel. And you're this fantastic creature that exists outside of humanity. Like, why... Why do you, would you need to bother engaging with the, you know, small little fancies of these human beings? And But Lestat, you know, he sort of has his choice. He's like, do I, do I just fucking live it up and have a good time and, <laughs> and make a joke about it and, 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 and find it funny and find, look for the light moments? Um, mm. He is very oscillating, though, you know, so sometimes yeah. the joke's at his own expense and sometimes the joke's at everyone else's expense. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he's the one who's always laughing. But what I would say is that what Lestat does feel about humanity is through art, like there is a beautiful, pure expression. And he really, really respects and admires that and loves musicians and artists. That was where Lestat separated man from food. There was one issue, however, that threatened to pop the bubble of our Italian holiday. And that was the tenor playing Ernesto. And Lestat was unamused. He sat the tenor down, opened up the score in front of him, and sang as it was written. 
Lestat removed a lifetime of confidence, of joy, in less than half an hour. Ero nel suo serato quando l'ha scritta. That was one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> Lestat literally just being like, again. No, this is the note. <laughs> this is the note. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Roland Jones, I mean, what like what an amazing gift to, to an actor to write a scene like that. It was just like, oh, I couldn't believe when I was reading it. And then it dawned on me that I was like, oh, I'm going to have to play piano, sing, and speak Italian, and kill somebody. And then, you know, like, and <laughs> I was like, holy shit. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't be pitchy. Don't screw it up. You know, otherwise you will die. Yeah. But if if you're good, you know, he'll lavish you with praise and flowers every day. If you are a good musician or artist in his eyes, he will make sure that you are felt appreciated. If you're bad, yes, you'll die. <laughs> so the stakes are pretty chill. Yeah. Okay? So either, <laughs> either you have a patron for life or you die. Yeah. Now... Before you leave, we're going to end with a little segment that we like to call a little taste. Mm. Without giving away any spoilers, can you give us a little taste of what is to come in future episodes? A little hint of something people <laughs> might want to look out for. I know, without a spoiler, it's very tricky. Um, whoa. So um, there's so much. And yeah, I'd say you get to see more gifts. Mm. I would say the cloud gift is coming. <laughs> <gasps> Ooh, 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 write it down, you guys, write it down. <laughs> Keep an eye out. Ah, uh, Sam Reed. You know what? You ain't no evil vampire. You a good actor. <laughs> Thanks for coming and talking to me, All Things Episode 2. You're the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, all right, okay. Sam is darling. But you know what? I cannot let it go. Because I see Sam and I think Lestat. And you know what, Sam? I'm watching you. You on thin ice. Stop messing with Louie. All right, I got to shake it off. I got to shake it off because you know what we need to do? We got to get deeper into vampires and how Lestat and Louie fit into the world of literary bloodsuckers. And who better to take us there than Lambda-winning horror author, Jewel Gomez. Jewel, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to get to talk to you, Naomi. I'm so excited to talk to you. Now, for our listeners who live under a rock, okay? Because some of them are. You know, this is a podcast. Some of these people, honey, they're crawling out of the earth. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do. Certainly. I uh, wrote uh, a novel called The Gilda Stories, which has been in print for more than 30 years. And it was the first black lesbian vampire novel. Mm. And uh, I write poetry. I write plays. So what you're saying is you're giving us everything, okay? You are creating content. You are here healing <laughs> us with your art. I am writing, writing, writing. And one of my best favorite things is last, I think it was last year, I was given the Bram Stoker Award for from the Horror Writers Association of America. So, okay, I am here with the iconic Bram Stoker Award winning author, Jewel Gomez. Okay, can we do a little lightning round? In this episode, we're learning a lot about vampire lore. I'm curious to know how common some of these things are in other vampire stories. You know, how much of this was, mm. uh, were, were these rules that Anne kind of first codified or if this has been around. So first, 
Lestat saying he had been so lonely. He says at one point, there are only about a hundred other vampires in the world. How many vampires? Not many, I'm afraid. Maybe a hundred. What? I thought there were so many more. I think the general idea has been vampires don't create much in the way of community, that they are individualists in a great sense. Uh No one really has talked about the numbers, but they always seem to be relatively small. So I think their tendency is to be individuals. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now here's the other one. They say that the vampires, they can't drink the blood of the dead? We live off the blood of the living. Lap up the blood of the deceased and it'll suck you right down into death along with your victim. Yeah, that's a no. That's a no no. <laughs> you really, you, you you just don't be doing that. Like the heart has still got to be beating while you're taking the blood, because blood from a dead person will definitely draw you into death. Oh, really? That's pretty common. Everybody knows that. <laughs> Jewel, I didn't know that. I thought it was maybe a taste issue. You know what I mean? Like it's a little sticky, little coagulated, so it's not as good. <laughs> But okay, we're talking about like drawing someone into death. Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Another tidbit we get here is that vampires can't read the minds of someone they've made. A sacrifice is made when the dark gift is shed. You can't read my mind anymore? The architects of our creation mean to humble us. So like Lestat can't read Louis's mind. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know if that, I haven't seen that as a, uh, a general rule uh-huh. that a maker can't read the mind of the Ooh. one they've created. In general, vampires can read anybody's yeah. thoughts. That's my understanding based on my extensive research. <laughs> <laughs> Bram Stoker Award winner. Okay, here's my other one. Vampires sleep in coffins. But do they always sleep in coffins? Part of me thought that that was like an old school idea. You know, if you were a modern day vampire, you'd be like, this is my studio apartment. (laughs) Well, you know, in every novel you read, they sleep in coffins. Although I decided that if I was creating an African-American lesbian who was a vampire and she's moving into the 21st century, having escaped from slavery, she would not be sleeping in no coffin. Just was, I was like, no, 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 no. The big thing about the coffin is the security. You know, if you can get in there and lock it. Yeah. And also, although they don't really talk about it here, but in Dracula, you he carries his home soil. Yes, yes. And so the coffin is lined with the home soil. Uh, In my books, I just put her on a futon. It's pretty uncomfortable, but so would be a coffin. Put her on a futon behind a very thick door, and she's she's good to go. All right, that's the end of our lightning round, which wasn't very lightning fast, but you know, we had to get all the vamp facts straight. Okay, now, Jewel, what is your relationship with the Vampire Chronicles and the work of Anne Rice in general? I read... Interview with the Vampire, certainly when it first came out. Mm -hmm. And I had written a single story, a vampire story, which got published in The Village Voice. And then I thought, "Mm, I could write more of these because people really liked it. Mm -hmm. So Anne Rice's writing led me to understand how sensual 
the vampire mythology really could be. And that lent the texture to a lot of my own writing Mm -hmm. uh, of vampire stories. What is it about vampires for you in particular, um, you know, speaking about the Gilda stories, what is it about vampires that you feel like lends itself to exploring queerness and sexuality more so than other monsters, for lack of a better term? (laughs) I think vampires have uh, a natural sensuality. I mean, the very act of taking blood is skin against skin, touching. The way that vampire interactions are set up is like a seduction in most cases. Bringing someone into vampire life involves an exchange, both of liquids, which of course is blood, Mm -hmm. but also the lips touching parts of the body. I just think it's sensual by its very nature. Mm -hmm. It draws in people who are interested in any kind of sensual writing. Mm -hmm. Certainly I, I am. And queer writers, I think, are really drawn to it because it allows you to create an outsider figure who's also the hero of your story. And mm. uh, I think that's something f- that we as queer people are always trying to achieve, being the outsider, being at the center of our own story. Certainly this version of Interview with the Vampire, it is doing its own thing, but also very much rooted in Anne's books. I think before it was it was a little implicit. It was kind of coded that Louis and Lestat had something going on, whereas this is like, this is what this story is about. Yes, I think that uh, Louis and Lestat's relationship is core to the story and what moves the story. And because it's the 21st century, we can now look at how two men come together. I mean, really can find each other. I mean, one of the most moving things about this particular rendering of the Rice novel is when Lestat talks about how lonely he has been Mm -hmm. for so long. And I think he's giving voice to what a lot of queer people feel before they find their first queer lover. And so it's very, very moving to be able to experience that loneliness and how he manages to find the lover he's been looking for. There's one thing about being a vampire that I must fear above all else. And that is loneliness. You can't imagine the emptiness. Void, stretching out for decades at a time. You take this feeling away from me, Louis. We must stay together and take precaution. There's so many ethical questions around what it is to be a vampire, right? But in your book, your vampire doesn't want to kill people. Do you think a vampire has to kill people to be really powerful? I don't believe a vampire has to kill people in order to be really powerful. A vampire has the power to take blood and not kill can take a small amount from several people and not kill nor turn them into vampires. 
And that seemed to be more the way I wanted my character to go because she's also, she's creating community. Mm-hmm. I think the idea that Louis could take blood and not kill, he does finally get to that, you know, when we see the mm-hmm. interview with the older interviewer, mm-hmm. Malloy. It's very interesting that he's finally come around to understanding that. Mm-hmm. We also know that all of us, I hope, uh, donate blood to the Red Cross periodically. You don't die when you give them a pint of blood. Yeah. So it's entirely possible to donate that much blood <laughs> to a vampire and, and still live. That made more sense to me. That's kind of how I created my vampire. Well, I also love the idea, though, speaking of the Red Cross, like a vampire would just like take some blood and then give you orange juice and cookies. <laughs> you know what I mean? At the end, they're like, here's a couple dry biscuits. <laughs> Take a seat for a minute, and then you can go home after 10 minutes. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Okay. One last question. If the opportunity arose, would you interview a vampire? And what would be the first question you would ask? If I had the opportunity, I, I would interview a vampire. And my first question would be, why do you want to be interviewed? I feel like I would be able to get the an, an understanding of the phenomenon of vampires, but also it would reveal something about human nature, you know, why somebody would become a vampire. And I would be curious, what is it they want the world to know, to learn from their experience? With that in mind, the present-day Louis sitting down with Daniel Malloy, what do you think he wants the world to know? More than wanting the world to know, I think he's exploring for himself who he is, how he came to be who he is, and does it have any meaning, ultimately. I think he's, he's still in some ways lost, even at the end, but he wants to know why he is who he is. Mm -hmm. And that's a horrible thing to have life everlasting and not know why, what value your life has. That's, that's, Mm -hmm. that would be horrible. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Jewel. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about episode two. And I can't wait to see you again when we talk about episode six. Okay, Naomi, I'll be here. Oh, Jewel. I feel like we've been touched by an angel. She is the sweetest and the smartest. That is Jewel Gomez, author of The Gilda Stories, which you better read. And she'll be back later in the season as things get even steamier. Before we go, I need to share a little fun fact about our favorite vampires. For the 1994 movie Interview with the Vampire, Anne Rice, who wrote the screenplay, by the way, had a lot of different casting ideas. One of her most interesting ideas was to cast Cher as Louis. Yes, that share, the only share. In an interview with the magazine Movie Line, Anne Rice said, The whole idea was that Louis would be a transvestite woman. At that time in history, you could own your own plantation and run things if you were a man, but you couldn't if you were a woman. Oh my God, can you imagine the dissertations that would have been? Cher even wrote a song for the soundtrack, but it was ultimately not used. And Brad Pitt was cast as Louis, Tom Cruise as Lestat. But lucky for us, decades later, that lost share song made its way into the world anyway. 
It's called Lovers Forever from her 2013 album, Closer to the Truth. You're welcome. You're welcome. I feel like a real-life pop-up video, and that's all I've ever wanted. Next week, we'll be talking all things episode three, and we'll be joined by none other than Jacob Anderson, who plays Louis Dupont du Lac. And we'll also be joined by production designer extraordinaire, Mara Lapere Schloop, who created an incredibly detailed and accurate version of New Orleans from the early 1900s. And please, I am telling you, blow up my phone. Call in with your thoughts and feelings. You can leave a voicemail by calling in to 888-788-VAMP. That's 888-788-8267. Your message might even be included right here in future episodes of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the AMC Plus Interview with the Vampire podcast. Watch new episodes of Interview with the Vampire every Sunday night on AMC or stream it early on AMC+. Podcast episodes drop the same day. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. For an extended 30-day free trial of AMC+, go to amcplus.com and use promo code INTERVIEWPOD. That's interview P-O-D. This is an AMC Networks podcast produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers at AMC Networks are Kevin Dreyfus, Celia Quinnett, and Brian Swarth. Our executive producers at Pineapple are Gabrielle Lewis, Barry Finkel, Max Linsky, and Jenna Weiss-Berman. Our managing producer is Bria Mariette. Our producers are Ben Goldberg and Aaron Kelly. Our associate producer is Natalie Paird. Darby Maloney is our editor. Mixing and engineering by Hannes Brown. Thank you to Sam Reed and Jewel Gomez for joining us. And I am Naomi Akparagin. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of AMC Networks and its employees.